I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Salam, dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, welcoming you to She Talks Peace from Manila. Dear listeners, you may be interested in some news about Philippine politics. Last Sunday, Sara Duterte, the daughter of our outgoing president, Rodrigo Duterte, was sworn in as the country's 15th vice president. Now, normally, the president and the vice president have their swearing-in ceremony together. But in this uh, current administration, uh, President Rodrigo Duterte's administration, because the president and the vice president were in different parties, uh, the vice president had a different uh, swearing-in. But this year, President-elect Bongbong Marcos is an ally of the vice president, Sara Duterte. But still... Uh, Vice President Sara decided to have her own swearing-in ceremony. And uh, I guess it also makes sense because she did it in her hometown in Mindanao, Davao City, where she is the outgoing mayor. Of course, uh, her father was there. President Rodrigo Duterte was there. President-elect Bongbong Marcos is also there. And so many dignitaries, ambassadors, and uh, high government officials. Now, it might also be interesting for you to know that the outgoing vice president is also a woman, Lenny Robredo, who ran for president but lost to President-elect Bongbong Marcos. Vice President Robredo has accomplished a lot in the six years that uh, she was president. I mean, she's she's really supported entrepreneurship, especially for women and for the poor. She's been a staunch supporter of human rights, women's empowerment. And it really makes me wonder what Vice President Sara will accomplish in her six years. But, you know... 
the vice presidents that uh, we've had, the women vice presidents that we've had in, in this country have been quite forceful and remarkable political leaders. In the Philippines, women have certainly uh, made their mark in politics. And I was just wondering how women were doing in politics in unexpected places like Tunisia, for instance, where some of my friends uh, come from. Now, I was just looking at the news and I came across really disturbing uh, news about Tunisia from Al Jazeera. Tunisia judges have extended their national strike for a third week in protest against what they call President Qais Said's interference in the judiciary as the president has tightened his grip on power since freezing parliament last July. Said dismissed 57 judges on June 1, accusing them of corruption and protecting quote-unquote terrorists, charging that the Tunisian Judges Association were well, according to the Tunisian Judges Association, these charges were mostly uh, political. And there was a coalition of 10 human rights groups that, you know, protested the move by President uh, Said, saying that uh, it dealt a deep blow to judicial independence. Now, what is remarkable about this, when I was looking at the news, many of the judges who were in the demonstrations were women. And, you know, in the Middle East and North Africa, in the Muslim communities, there really has been this push to curtail the rights of women, to uh, make women more mothers and sisters and taking care of the home. But you do see a lot of powerful voices, women's voices now, coming out in democratic arenas, especially in countries like Tunisia, which actually originated the Arab Spring. Now, do you remember what the Arab Spring was all about? It was a wave of pro-democracy protests and uprisings that took place in the Middle East and North Africa between 2010 and 2011. And you know where it started? It started in Tunisia. I don't know if you remember this, but the first demonstration that took place in Tunisia in December 2010 was initiated by the self-immolation of a young man, Mohammed Bouazizi, a street vendor who protested his treatment by local officials. I think they were trying to kick him out. He was selling fruits in his trolley. So he set himself on fire. And this fire lit a firestorm in Egypt and all other uh, countries that were really pushing for a democracy. And as I was thinking about this and reading the news about Tunisia, I couldn't help but wonder what our guest is doing today. As I can see her actually participating in the moves for democracy in Tunisia. Ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, let me introduce to you my friend, Ahlem Nasrawi, 
who is an influencer, a young influencer for inclusive youth engagement with marginalized groups. After finishing her master's degree in business communications, she worked to support the Tunisian democratic transition. I wonder if uh, Ahlem was in the Arab Spring. Probably. Ahlem Nasrawi is the founder of the Young Leaders Entrepreneurs Association, which has managed hackathons, boot camps, and startups supporting the democratic transition through youth leadership coaching. In 2016, she was selected by the State Department, the U.S. State Department, as one of the top 10 young emerging leaders. Now, this is global. She was described as a Tunisian woman who pushed past a culture of low expectations in her hometown who had started a program to confront terrorism and extremism, and who had launched several initiatives designed to train women. And they quote Ahlem as saying, in my hometown where I come from, nobody is expecting that you are a leader or that you can be one. Well, Ahlem certainly is a leader. Welcome, Ahlem. Welcome to She Talks Peace. Hello, Amina. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good afternoon. Depending on your time zone, I'm really happy to be your host today to share some updates about Tunisia, about youth, about the democracy experience in North Africa in general. And thank you so much for the invitation. How are you, Ahlem? Last time I saw you in the Maldives where we had our a women's conference, you were very happy and very optimistic. Are you still happy and optimistic? Yes, I think, you know, being happy today is not like a normal feeling anymore or a state of mind. I think is uh, is like a, a trying to survive, <laughs> especially after the pandemic. <laughs> oh, yeah, the pandemic certainly has uh, put a damper on on many of our activities, and has actually been a driver for more extremist tendencies to appear all over the place. But Adlem is meaning to ask you about the protests that have been happening um, in Tunisia. What do young activists and uh, young women leaders such as yourself think of the situation now? I mean, you, you work so hard to bring back democratic processes to Tunisia. What do you think today? Thank you so much, Amina, especially for uh, researching, collecting information, and really describing well what's happening somehow since the Arab Spring. The thing is, I mean, in Tunisia, other than the different narratives that we started to have, because before the Arab Spring, it was, uh, I mean, because we've been under a dictatorship. We had only one narrative that has been placed and forced by uh, the ruling regime. And one of the main issues that actually pushed and also inspired the idea of, we don't really, you know, Amina, I'm going to be very honest with you. In Tunisia and uh, a lot of Arab countries, if I can define Tunisia as such, because we are a very diverse countries and we have different identities right now, we don't really like the term Arab Spring because we feel it's a westernized or a western 
definition that has been placed all over the media online, it's very whitewashed in a way. Some people, they see that as mostly as an uprising, as a start of the revolution, because for many young people, and especially me, I think revolution doesn't happen on only one day. You need a lot of failure, a lot of success, a lot of trial in order to find the way, in order to build your institutions and instill the practices of democracy, especially that we didn't know such principles before. So like civil society, we didn't have before 2011. We only had a few charities that were promoting the and celebrating the narrative of the ruling part, political party or the political regime. And after the revolution, it was actually in a phenomenon in a way. Thousands of associations started. Many were youth-led. We had received the international development attention a lot of scholarships for young people to participate in exchange programs, trainings for civil society to to practice how to write a proposal and manage their budget, etc. What happened, actually, I think it's an accumulation. Many people like in Tunisia and especially, I would say, youth, we had like sort of stagnation. After all the praise of Tunisia as the only successful country that peacefully transferred power from one government to another through elections, as compared to other countries, unfortunately, like Syria, Libya, that's still, you know, struggling before. I mean, now, hopefully, they have some sort of stability with militias, etc. So Tunisia was often described in the media as the beacon of hope when it comes between inverted (laughs) or uh, as I quote from media, like the beacon of hope for the Arab Spring. Anyway, so uh, after many governments from the transitional one, temporary one, up to electing the the current uh, Tunisian government or the president, Qais Saeed, which was really a miracle, I would say, because this person, he comes from a middle class, He's uh, a university uh, professor of law. He had no political, I would say, affiliation before or history of activism as a politician. And you know, Amina, that politics is like a small circle. Like you need to have a kind of support, a kind of push to to be in the in the space. Yeah. So this guy, base. exactly. So. This guy, if I can call him as such, the president, he appealed to the people because people maybe, and this is my own perception, they saw a reflection of themselves as a middle class and they have had enough of many promises from the former governments before this one and also the presidents because we dreamed, you know, we achieved the revolution or we made the revolution, we revolted against corruption etc because we dreamed of democracy of social justice of ending nepotism etc but then we've seen that okay we've had our moment the media celebrated us but then things continue corruption unemployment extremism and then the pandemic mismanagement i would say by the former government and here i'm not trying to justify what the current president had done so he decided using the measurements and some legal, you know, measurements and decrees under the state of emergency 
to sack the former government, appoint a new head of government or prime minister who is a woman, and we are happy for that. I mean, as you know, in the Middle East, we don't have that much <laughs> of head of governments. Yeah, exactly. We've had uh, a lot of opposition from the uh, majority political party, which is Nahda, the uh, Muslim Brotherhood, if I can define them as such, and also even other left, I mean, uh, base or uh, political parties, etc., and also even from uh, Western governments trying to question the state of democracy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So, Ahlep, you and young leaders, you know, who were really the backbone of the revolution, the awakening, right? You kicked out the previous president. You forced him out of the country. You made your government institute reform so that you would have free elections. You got yourself a new constitution. And now you're saying that things are starting to slide to the old status quo? Well, it's not, I mean, really uh, the initial, because I think that Tunisians, they changed. We are not the, the same Tunisian before 2011. And before 2011, people were worried about their own safety if they speak out uh, about corruption, nepotism. Now people, they don't really care, even about the president. If they don't like something, they will take it to the street, they will talk. We have many political bloggers and even normally human beings, you know, normal citizens. I think they acquired some sort of skills or some sort of, they know their rights, they are aware about the possibility of changing whatever political system if it doesn't need and doesn't match the expectations. They have found your voice and your power. Exactly. And I think protest is a healthy way. It doesn't mean that your country is not stable. It means that you actually have democracy. Despite, I would say, we've had in Tunisia, police brutality still continue. We, we've seen and as a civil society and we've recorded many cases of committing violence against activists, uh, against, you know, especially women activists in the public space. They weren't safe at all. And then what we did as civil society is we made sure to uh, cover all of that, to write it down, to share it on social media in a way to call it out and to hold the government or any political party or even the police or any security or defense accountable because human rights comes first. And to answer your question, Amina, I'm sorry, I just wanted to give you a bit more uh, deeper background about what's happening other than uh, online media. If you want my opinion, I would say that we are still wondering as civil society and youth, 
we were still confused because everything is happening in the, in the speed of light. So we are still trying to digest and not to be affected by the media because the media, you have the Western media, you have other, you know, I would say, and here I'm not questioning the credibility, but also we need to acknowledge that what we read and what we see is not all of it neutral. Some platforms, they have some sort of agenda. So as Tunisians, we want to take our time of course, to not control, but to uh, supervise and uh, trying to see what the president next steps. The thing what happened with the judicial, by, uh, he sacked like more than 50 judges. Some what of them, they were right? invited even exactly for legal, I would say, uh, investigations under the precautions or the accusations that these people, they are either prone or supporting some political parties are not being neutral. And some of them, they were even accused of corruption and even of hiding truth and a proof that would actually frame or uh, they serve as proofs against some political parties or some individual who are very influential and they would be accused of terrorism. So, if you want my opinion, I think that no one should be spared if there are proofs against them as being, you know, uh, supportive of corruption. Because as Tunisians, this has really affected our economy and the chances of finding employment and a fair opportunities for youth. But the thing is, we need a neutral, not the president, a neutral third party who is representative of the people who would ensure that these people will be judged in uh, and tried in a fair way. Yeah, so, because this is the thing, yeah. Adlem. In a democracy, you have to have checks and balances in government. And if the president, the head of the executive, can just fire anybody in the judiciary, which is a check on the executive, then there is no... No checks and balance. I mean, like um, in my country, for instance, there is a judicial branch. They have their own regulations so that when there are charges of corruption or cuddling terrorists, there is a process. A president, you know, our president, even though he wants to fire some judges, cannot just go out and, and fire them. So, you know, I was really amazed at the protest and it's been going on for several weeks, right, Ahlan? This, this protest by the, uh, the judges? I think because like most of these protests, they happen in downtown, like in one of the most famous streets in Tunis. I don't live close to that street. And in the media, I don't see much of coverage. And even when it was portrayed that it was small, very small scale protest, mainly coming from the side of sacked, you know, because he sacked the government before and he sacked the parliament, then he froze it. And this parliament, you have many political entities, mainly the majority, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. And there were some invitations from these political parties to hold strikes, to take it to the public space, to denounce it. And even they were actually using a term, which is the lobbying, like they were lobbying even with politicians and other governments, for example, in the U.S., and actually, and like one of the Congress members, actually, she, I mean, she's supportive of the Muslim Brotherhood. She, she tried to convince the Congress, actually, and I saw that in her tweets, to use the vaccine as a leverage against the Tunisian people in order to resume or uh, get back the second government and, uh, and parliament. 
which is something we totally refuse. I mean, to, to use such a humanitarian things against people uh, because of some sort of political crisis. That's true. So Ahlem, specifically your organization and the young activists and young leaders, what reforms are you pushing for from your government? What are you demanding your government do? I think the first reform is ensuring democracy. And of course, the local understanding and perception of democracy, not what the West or other nations are trying to push for Tunisia. Oh, don't forget, never mind about that. Ahlem, if you look at the United States, uh, that's not a very good picture of democracy. Is it? So let's go Tunisian democracy Ahlem, reforms. Exactly. So I've been fan of the term decolonizing because the French, they are trying to impose, other governments, they are trying to call and denounce without really understanding what the people want. Maybe this is what the people want. I don't know. I didn't do much research because I've seen also protests which is the name of the current president. A lot of people, they are supportive of his, uh, you know, quotation marks efforts. So we have this side which calls this as uh, a kickback against democracy. And we have the other side of a lot of people who are, I mean, the grassroots who are pro and happy, and they want to really get rid of between quotation marks uh, corruption. So you have two narratives. So for me, my first priority in a very realistic way, other than being an activist, is ensuring the peace and stability, because now you have two sides of the stories. You have two sides of not only political parties against each other, but even people upholding the ideas of their representatives and political parties. So I think we don't want to have two narratives. Of course, everyone should be free to outvoice their ideas, either for or against, to protest. This is a cons- their constitutional rights, but in a way, the president, the current government, they need to ensure the safety and stability without having sort of retaliation against anyone against them. They should ensure the principles of democracy, especially in terms of institutions, not to violate or trying to dissolve the democratic institution, especially the judicial power, which is very important for balancing, as you said, the checks and balance and justice. And my other idea to be uh, strategic for now, for the sake of time, is ensuring the inclusion of youth. This revolution was started by youth. We don't see youth now. They have been sacked, like the parliament. Why, why, why is that, Ahlem? When the youth seem to be the biggest force behind the awakening, the revolution, how have they managed to kind of push out the youth from representation in government? Because youth, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, Amina, they weren't taken seriously. Youth, they have been used as a tool to polish their image as politicians, to portray themselves as aligned with the Generation Z, as being poor, as being, you know, whatever, in order to get votes for elections. And we've been used since ages, not only in Tunisia, but even I would say by the uh, international development, not except a few organizations who really care about youth inclusion. So this is very common, very general. And uh, other than youth, women also, whenever I see people celebrating the appointment of the first head of government in the Arab world, I start laughing. 
Because I tell them, okay, we need such representation, but when this representation is real, not as a form of tokenism, of trying to justify whatever the current president is doing, when it's real and this person, whatever their gender is, they have a real agenda and power of uh, bringing reforms and bringing the ideas, then I'll be happy. But because I experienced that with you, I've seen ministers meeting with us, I've seen presidents and uh, high-profile people, you know, doing the same and presenting awards and delivering speeches during events. But once the time allocated for their speech is over, then they will be exactly then they will uh, take them out and that's it so yeah, you get, you get, you get a nice t-shirt and that's about it <laughs> right but exactly them, given the fact that the youth were really dominant in the arab spring or the jasmine revolution i keep wondering why it could not go unless into a movement just let me give you an, an example in malaysia for instance because young people, young leaders got really sick and tired of being east out, like what you're saying is happening in Tunisia, over time, because they were very active in humanitarian work, when there's a disaster, they have actually formed a relatively strong political party, Ahlem, and they're challenging the majority party in, in Malaysia in some districts. So, Ahlem, is your organization kind of helping organize these young leaders and youth organizations so that you could have your own uh, political base and have your own candidates for, for parliament? So, I mean, after a lot of bad experience and after being, you know, disappointed by the previous governments and very influential political figures, to be honest, my opinion and my own strategy was to boycott. Because sometimes when you boycott, it's an attitude or an opinion itself. And uh, many of my colleagues, whether women or men or other genders, I've seen them actually holding back from uh, turning or transitioning from the soft powers of civil society to the political domain. As polit Because when you form a movement, a political movement, a political party, you actually become a politician. And then uh, people will have certain perceptions of you. And to be honest, I'm sorry for using this term, politics is a dirty game. Sometimes you, you need to get rid of, to strip yourself from your own principles to work with that person whose ideas sometimes is a bit over, I would say, the red lines. Sometimes you don't need, I'm not against working with someone different, than, but when this person is totally through ideas that you are trying to fight, then I, I would say that this is actually a betrayal against your principles. So my idea is, I mean, most of the civil society entities in Tunisia, they want to be and stay in the civil society lens, not to move to the political side. Because they know the challenges and they know that this would challenge actually and threaten their own credibility in front of the people. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I can see how that's a, a dilemma. But let me give you another example. In Turkey, there was a very strong uh, movement of educators in the humanitarian groups and uh, uh, civil society organizations. And so powerful because, you know, everywhere you had a Turkish community abroad, for instance, you'd find them there. They set up schools. And this movement actually helped put in Erdogan. But because they moved away from him, supposedly because of charges of corruption, etc., he's now running after them as a terrorist group. I'm mentioning this because they have political power. But they're not politicians. So they're just always watching their government and, and moving if they see that it's, uh, you know, uh, not doing what it promised to do. So I mean, when you talk about the power to negotiate with government, maybe you don't have to be, you know, a political party, but are youth organizations coming together nationally, Ahlem? so that you can actually wield some leverage with your government. The thing, Amina, is uh, in Tunisia, I mean, in terms of if you want to analyze the domain of governance and the structure, whether political grassroots or community-based, Tunisia now is dominated not only by political parties. You have the uh, union, the labor union, and actually Tunisia lost a lot, millions of dollars because of one day strike that was ordered and uh, obligated by uh, the labor union just a few days ago. So yes, we have some sort of power balance against the government, you know, trying to to challenge and uh, use whatever ways of mobilization and control and uh, accountability against them. The problem is that after 2011, a lot of shining stars, I would say, and influential leaders, they left the country. This is another thing. People and here, I totally respect their choices. The old figures, they left the country. It's, there is the problem of the brain drain. A lot of people, they, it's not like giving up, but because of the issues of corruption, the issues of uh, disappointment and pessimism, they opted to pursue other opportunities in their future because they see things as changing in a way to be the same. And uh, I'm still here in Tunis. I got a and scholarship. You're never leaving. You're never leaving. I'm Ahmed. not you're leaving. <laughs> okay, let me let me <laughs> ask you. Let me ask you a very important question because you don't want to leave Tunisia. What is it about Tunisia that you love? You love so much that you're not going to leave Ahmed. Yes, I think the Tunisians they deserve to be happy. They deserve social justice because whenever if you live here and I invite you, Amina to come and experience the Tunisian way of things. When you live in the, the local communities, not in the fancy tourism 
the cliche, I would say, but with, with real people, with real Tunisians and real communities, you will experience the values and, uh, and the principles of tolerance. Tunisians are known since old history, from Carthage to other empires, for their strength and uh, resilience, and also the ability of uh, coming through all the challenges and make it happen. And also they are very tolerant because we as people, we are very diverse. And this is what I really admire. I admire their, I would say, you know, like efforts and the determinants to be happy. Like Tunisia, they like to laugh, they like to enjoy coffee, they like to go swim, they like to adventures. Uh, yes, they like, I mean, uh, to uh, in a Mediterranean way. So yes, this is what I really love. I think we have something that we can start, which is the legacy of tolerance, the legacy of peace. It just needs some sort of political will, some sort of determination to scale it up towards uh, something institutional, something legal, something, you know, economic, that you can see it in other lenses. And of course, the youth inclusion, women, other gender identities and other minorities in Tunisia, because we are not a 100% Muslim country, even though this is what the media and Wikipedia others trying to portray. Tunisia has non-religious communities. We have a Jewish community in, in the south and also in some uh, areas in the north. We have other sects of uh, Muslim, uh, the, uh, of the Muslim religion. We have Christians. So yes, we have different people here living under one umbrella, which is Tunisia. Oh, Ahlem, you're in love with your people. So, so, so Ahlem, so in love with your people that you're going to stay there. What is your dream for your people and, and for Tunisia? I mean, if you could have your way, Ahlem, what do you want? What do you see for your country? I would say to, I know this might, uh, might be sensitive, but I'm going to be very honest. And a lot of young people, they share the same aspirations as me, is to get rid of all these political parties with their old spirit <laughs> when it comes to understanding and perceiving. And here getting great is just an expression, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everyone should be uh, yes, sure yes. their own safety. <laughs> yes. So no one would accuse me of trying to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> it's just, I mean, the, their presence. I think we need a new spirit. We need youth, we need the new ideas, we need vibrant understanding of uh, the trending topics because the world is changing, especially with the Ukraine crisis. Uh, diplomacy is changing. So we need to really think of a new strategy for diplomacy, for the economy. In Tunisia, you know, I mean, I would be shocked. Tunisians actually provide one of the highest percentage of engineers, of coders to Europe. Engineers. Uh, Exactly. And doctors, most of them, they live and they are employed in Germany, in France. So even this country, they stopped actually caring about sponsoring or I would say about the education system when it comes to forming future doctors and engineers and assume my responsibility for saying this. And they would take from Africa as a continent, mainly Tunisia, Senegal and other countries. So it's really bad. And it breaks my heart seeing all of these talents leaving the country and of course they have the, the total right to do that because they get very pitchy cash as salaries they don't have equipment infrastructure so to sum it up we need a new power a new spirit a new philosophy that cuts 
with the past practices of corruption of old souls, I would say, and this is not related to the age. It's more about the mindset. We need to fight back, really, in order to have uh, a real representation of everyone from Tunisia, in order to instill the real practices of democracy. And also, you know, like in Tunisia, we don't have PayPal. It's a closed economy. We are not allowed to have international credit cards. No, uh, really? only, yes. Wow. This is something from before. Many politicians, they promised to, to do this. And actually, they are still doing it and imposing it under the uh, excuse of fighting terrorism and uh, like financial sponsorship of terrorism. So, yes, we are still under the control. I would quote one from uh, the books that I have read. Big Brother is still watching us, everyone. We don't have the right of doing freelance jobs, of receiving money, even if it's something legit and you have all the proofs that justify its source. But anyway, young people, they feel they are framed. They don't have the freedom to breathe and, and work and follow the trends of uh, like uh, cryptocurrency or any other economic uh, way of generating revenues in a way. Ah, but Ahlem, when uh, you see that slogan, Big Brother is watching, you can add, yes, young sister will poke your eye. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) We will will continue fighting. Oh, Alam, you know, time is running, running short and we're having so much fun with this conversation. But before we go, why could you share some words of encouragement to young people who are listening to us and then even, you know, senior people like me who want to make a change, but sometimes feel that they cannot. Share your words of wisdom, Ahlem. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that, especially, maybe I would quote this very quick uh, anecdote. I met someone in the south of Tunisia when we were running some workshops about social entrepreneurship. And then he approached me and he told me, you know what? I was about to jump like before in uh, in a boat trying to escape to Europe in the what's defined as clandestine immigration because I dream of a better future where everyone understands me, everyone respects me, and everyone actually is aware of my existence. But then he told me when I saw you and other people at the same age as me who actually lived in very marginalized communities, maybe worse than mine, And still they didn't give up and they are achieving their dreams. They are pursuing other opportunities, whether education, etc. And even trying to create a change, even in a minimal way, which is working with the local communities, for example, and not directly battling with the government. I think he told me this has inspired him. And actually he started his own project, which is like a a social enterprise in his uh, local community. So when I see that kind of change of perception from someone who wanted to escape across the borders to another country or another continent to someone who is actually making some sort of revenues and creating social impact in his community, it actually inspires me that uh, trying to inspire other people, trying to protect other people and trying to listen to other people, this is a change in itself. You don't need like to, of course, we can dream big of changing the constitution towards more inclusion, of ending, you know, corruption, uh, like very general, I would say, ideas of uh, social justice. But I think we need to be realistic 
which is like trying to try and uh, to impact and influence perception even within our own families with our friends i think step by step then we can we can reach the top which is uh, uh, the legal i would say side and policy making so this is my own listener that i have experienced of that during my trips to the to some parts in tunisia thank you so much ahlem my dear listeners that's ahlem nasrawi young influencer from uh, Tunisia, a young woman activist in love with her people and who is going to fight the good fight one step at a time. Thank you, Ahlem. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening to She Talks Peace today. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, wishing everybody a good week ahead and visit us again for the next episode. Bye! She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.